is View of the Valleys podcast. Hope everyone had a great week. I am Chris Smith, and as will be the case for all episodes, I am joined by TJ Hoover. TJ, how are you doing today? Well, I'm doing all right today. You know, the day is one of my favorite days. It's supposed to be practice at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway, getting ready for the race next week. But all things considered, this is the next best place I could be is talking some Valley Hoops with uh, Chris Smith. Yeah, it should be, uh, should be a fun episode. I know last week we basically gave you an introductory on what this podcast will be, who we are, and what we will be down the road when we do uh, the podcast. But during this week's episode, we will discuss some of the major conferences expanding their conference schedule and how that plays a role for mid-major schools. We'll get into some transfers, some schedules, as well as our Mount Rushmore for Austin P. and Bradley. But first, we're going to get into the major conferences and them expanding their conference schedule. So there's a lot of stuff that comes to mind here, TJ, and whether it's budgets, you know, being on a bubble once March Madness comes around. But what was your first thought once you saw that, you know, the Power Five conferences were going to expand their conference schedule? I think it led directly to the NCAA tournament. You're trying to build up your schedule, playing a tougher schedule because you're a high major, and you're just trying to get more of the pie for your conference because every team that gets in the conference is a bigger check for your conference. And it gives them the plausibility to say, hey, we can't put you on our schedule. You know, we're already critical of those schools for not playing true road games. And now they do something like this. I think it's just giving themselves more of the pie and trying to keep the little guy out. I think it's it long term, it probably hurts mid-majors and that may trickle down to hurting you know the low majors as those mid-majors may start to do some things you've heard some talk about scheduling alliances with mid-major conferences i don't know what do you think yeah well i see why the power five would like to do that um but at the same time you know us being mid-major fans um i don't like it strictly because yeah you know more or less, you know, the OVC and the MVC, they're going to be one-bid conferences. Um, but like when Creighton and Wichita State were in the MVC, or two years ago when Belmont and Murray State were both in the NCAA tournament, if Belmont did not get that win at UCLA, I believe it was, they may not have been in the tournament. But they showed that these mid-major schools they're able to compete with some of these power five conferences now whether it's you know murray state or you know bradley whoever it may be does that mean they're going to go down to duke and play a single digit game no not necessarily but these conferences have showed that they can compete with power five conference level teams it may not be the top tier power five teams from those conferences but let's say you get into some of the, you know, middle of the conference teams to the lower tier from those big conferences, the mid-majors have showed they can go in and not even pull an upset, but just win because there have been games last year that teams in the mid-majors were favored to win. And I know one, for example, because I placed a bet on it. It was uh, (laughs) Belmont at Boston College, and Belmont was, I think, a 1.5 favorite to win. And they did win, but 
I think odds makers are starting to see too that hey, you can't we can't always just favor the the bigger school here. There are mid major teams that have proven they can do this. I think one of the things that's going to happen too is kind of a trickle down effect. It's going to put even greater importance in scheduling a solid MTE, like a multi team event. Those schools sure. are going to have to go in. The mid majors are and find like this is the only place you're going to play us. This is what we're going to have to do. And they've become a bigger part over the last few years. I think it's going to be even bigger now. And from the, the big conferences, the the Power Five, they're almost games they can't afford to lose. They really they can't win. Yeah. Because talk about Mizzou is going to go to Missouri State this year, and I. You know, all the accolades to Mizzou for doing that, that you're going to go on the road, in-state. But what constitutes a win for Mizzou there? If they go in, they win by 30, well, you should have beaten them. They're an MVC school. You go down there, you a tight game, or you lose, then you look like Kentucky did last year losing to Evansville. And that's really hard, you know, for Coach oh, yeah. Martin. Those are one of those things that people remember. You know, you may go into the NCAA tournament and make get two wins, but, well, remember you lost to Missouri State back in November. You know, so that's hard for those schools to overcome. So I understand where they're coming from. But again, like you said, being mid-major fans, we want to see more of those matchups. Sure, because you want to see the mid-majors take on them, them big schools that have established programs. But at the same time, like you just said, yeah, you know, why does Kentucky want to schedule, you know, games like against Evansville? Because all Evansville is doing in their mind is they're going in there to collect a paycheck for their uh, program to help their budget. And at the same time, they just went in there and won. So it was a win-win for them. They came out with two wins, and, and Kentucky just lost a chunk of money from their program. And at the same time, it, that's remembered by every college analyst the rest of the season. So they they gained nothing out of that game. Yeah, by the end of the year, Calipari was sick of answering that question, no matter how well <laughs> they played. Like, well, you lost to Evansville. It's like, well, look look where we were. Look how many guys were hurt. And, you know, that that's something that another one of those case, cases, they can't win. Yep. And this kind of leads me to a topic from the past. Um, this was a, a pretty fun scheduling bit in college basketball a few years back that I thought brought a lot of interest towards the end of the season and now with the power five conferences doing this adding more conference games and limiting their non-conference schedule this might be an area where they go back to possibly and that's the espn bracket buster games i was a big fan of them oh for sure um when those were going on i think it was i think the last one may have been like 2013 or 14 maybe i know it's been a few years since they did one but there was a lot of excitement there at the end. Yeah, now, did it get a little exaggerated? Yes, because I'll be honest, SEMO was in a couple of them, as a lot, basically all mid-major schools were. But what what's the benefit of SEMO during a year where they were like 3-27 and 27 playing Northern Illinois at that point? It doesn't gain anybody benefit. Now, yes, those games are scheduled in advance because... You don't know who's going to be good or whatever the case may be. Now, the team isn't or their opponent's not scheduled till later on in the season, but they're automatically in that bracket buster game. But I loved how they had, you know, that game basically like it was like a week and a half to two weeks before the conference tournament would have started, because if you were on a bubble, this was a great way to help prove yourself that you deserve a spot in the NCAA tournament. And one of those games 
that I'll give you as an example was St. Mary's went to Murray State on nationally televised um, game, and Murray State won by 14, and St. Mary's was ranked during that time, and that was a big win for Murray State. Right, and the Missouri Valley was in a similar situation. After the uh, Bracket Busters, they were in an agreement with the Mountain West Conference. I think last year, maybe the year before, was the first year in a long time that they hadn't done that. Same type of situation. Breaks up the conference schedule. You get to play the top team from the other conference, and it gave you a little chance to measure yourself against other conferences, see where you stood. You weren't somebody going 16-2 and two in conference sure. play and so on. Well, you didn't play anybody because your conference was down that year. It kind of gave you a better barometer. But again, if you're that team that loses that, you know, that crossover, where does that leave you after the fact? So are, is the payoff worth the possible you know, downfall that you might have from that situation. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm sure that's a, a big outlook that, uh, a lot of people have discussed, but, and I, I highly doubt that they'll bring back the bracket busters. I don't know where that put, you know, the budgets or whatever, if it was a money cost is why they canceled it. But that, that was a fun week where there were, yeah, there were more matchups that weren't as, popular as others but the ones that did matter they were fun to watch and the, i think they had it just it was the same weekend like friday through sunday and there were great games televised um all throughout the day so i don't i don't foresee them bringing that back but but these mid-major conferences may have to do something down the road to where yeah we're going to schedule an out of conference game you know two weeks before the end of the season to try and help you know boost their it was rpi what a lot of people thought but now it's those quad one and right quad two uh wins yeah then they have the equation the net now that they've changed it well we didn't know what it was before so and me and math don't get along and i haven't had a math (laughs) class in you know like 25 years um yeah you're you're talking over my head it's like einstein type numbers Uh, but with that we're gonna work our way into the transfers here now, with the transfer list, yeah, there's been, you know, gobs of transfers this season. So I, we're not going to touch on all of them today. Um, more or less, we're going to do, you know, top three or four transfers from the MVC and the OVC that transferred out of the conference. So this this episode will not discuss any transfers coming into the MVC or OVC. It's strictly players that have left the conference um, TJ, if you want to start out with the MVC here. Well, I think the biggest loss for the conference as a whole is you look at Valparaiso and Javon Freeman Liberty, um, potential player of the year in the future. I think he would have been right there in the discussion this year had it uh, been a better year for his team as a whole. He transferred to DePaul. He cited some family concerns. I, I kind of wonder about that. I, I mean, obviously the Big East is a step up. From the Missouri Valley Conference, people thought maybe he wasn't going to leave because he'd done that. He, excuse me, he did the same thing last year where he entered the transfer portal and then withdrew his name and came back. So Valpo was looking at having everybody back except for their two seniors that graduated. So now he's headed to DePaul, and it, I think it's a loss for the league. I mean, he was fantastic, just electric to watch at the end of games, and was the guy who would single handedly bring Valparaiso back. What about anyone from the Ohio? So one of the guys that sticks out now, this was a grad transfer. And I do apologize, as I'm more than likely going to pronounce the last name incorrect. Um, Eli Abev, 
Um, he was a grad from Austin P. And now this is a guy that I thought was, you know, willing to spend a minute on, even though he was a grad transfer. But he's going to Florida Gulf Coast. He averaged nearly eight points and eight rebounds per game. And he started every game last season. He had a game high 19 points against Eastern Kentucky and SIU Edwardsville. And both games were double doubles. And yeah, he's a grad transfer, so it's not like that, you know, he's one of these other transfers that has been highly talked about how so many guys are leaving just to get a new program. But at the same time, he was a big piece of Austin P and their success in the Ohio Valley last year. So, you know, the program is going to have to find another guy to fill in his role as a as a guy that really was a staple last year on the Austin P team. I think it's been real interesting to see how much of an increase we've seen in transfers. Um, I think part of it, you obviously would blame the, the culture has changed. You know, you get kids that play in AAU teams like, hey, I'm not happy here. I'm going someplace else. I want to see myself grow. Obviously, Matt Painter came out, coach at Purdue, some pretty harsh comments about the guys leaving his program. But it's kind of the nature of where we're at. Sure. It'll be really interesting to see if in the future, I think it's been tabled until January by the NCAA about letting players have a one-time no-sit transfer, like one time you can transfer. On one level, I think it's you don't want to see it as a fan, but on the other hand, you look at a kid like, well, coach can leave. Why can't I leave too? Why can't I do what's best for me as 18, 19, 20-year-old? Because we think about this, some of the decisions that we made when we were 18 years old. Yeah. Like, man, I wish I would get a do-over on some of those, too, so you feel for that for those kids. Another big one for the Missouri Valley is uh, DeAndre Williams. He's supposed to announce today, and this is Friday that we're doing this, and that's uh, 24-7 Sports is where I saw that he's supposed to announce today, and he's down to Arkansas, Baylor, Kentucky, and Memphis. So you're looking at, you know, at least three of those four is easily a step up in conference play. I would even say Memphis and going there. Uh, American Athletic Conference is probably a step up playing for Penny Hardaway. Yeah. Would, he's a guy that I loved watching play growing up. But And just what those kids at Evansville went through this year with Coach being uh, suspended and then being uh, let go from his contract, going winless in conference play, you knew you were going to see some turnover there. But I think DeAndre Williams is, was probably their most electric player when he was on the floor. Obviously, K.J. Riley, senior, he was a big factor too. But I think DeAndre Williams was the guy you were going to build around for the next two years, seeing as he was a sophomore. And he, all three of my biggest transfers here uh, in the Missouri Valley Conference are sophomore players. So I don't know who else you had from the Ohio Valley. Well, and speaking of Williams, I mean, he was a guy that um, that you would have thought Evansville could have built their program around. I mean, he was very athletic. And when you're trying to recruit other players, he would have been a guy that you tell those recruits, hey, we're trying to build around um, Williams and He's a guy that will be able to help you, you know, become a better basketball player by being a good teammate, being a good leader. And, you know, with his ability, you know, he'll be able to help get you involved in whatever the case may be. So, yeah, that does hurt the program. But at the same time, you can't blame Williams because of all the problems that went on in the program last season. And when you have those other schools as a possibility to go play it, I'd go do it, too, at this point where he's at. Uh, but another guy from the OVC, Sage Tolbert, uh, he's been at Southeast Missouri State the last two seasons, and he is transferring to Temple. 
So another guy from SEMO that has moved on to a, another Division One school over the last couple years. But Tolbert averaged nearly 10 points per game, and he had seven rebounds last season. Now, his freshman season, I mean, he was a staple. He started 27 of 31 games as a freshman, and then during his sophomore year, he started all 31 games, and he recorded five double-doubles. Now, Tolbert would have been a guy that Simo could have tried to build around him. He was he was athletic. Um, not only could he score, he was a solid rebounder. And the one thing that does stand out and why he may have transferred, as you see this time and time again, when there's a coaching change, you see some of those players that were recruited and signed by the previous coach move out of the program because they were there because of that head coach. Now, I don't know if that's the reason, you know, Tolbert decided to move on, but Temple is an upgrade from Southeast Missouri State at this point. Yeah, I think there's always that allure of playing on the East Coast, you know, a nice city like Philly, you show some Philly cheesesteaks and some <laughs> of the other sites that are there. And yeah, I, I agree. I think Temple, from a conference standpoint, is an upgrade from either uh, the Missouri Valley or the Ohio Valley Conference. In the uh, Missouri Valley Conference, I think you're going back another sophomore. We're looking for some big things, and that was Liam Robbins out of Drake. Had a heck of a season. I think he and Roman Penn both coming back for their junior year was going to be a heck of a show. They were going to be a really tough tandem inside-outside. And you can't be uh, happy whenever you lose 14 points and seven boards a game. Going to Minnesota, family member on Minnesota's staff, so I think he's a sit-one, play-two type of guy. But I think he's another one of this really good sophomore class that the Missouri Valley Conference had that you're losing. And again, like I said, I thought they were building some good things there with those two. The last guy in the OVC that I wanted to mention, uh, Derek St. Hilaire, he was a junior this past season. He was at Jacksonville State. Now, he is transferring to New Orleans. Now, he wasn't as big of a, I don't want to say staple, as he, he did play every game, but he did not start as many games during his Gamecock career as like Tolbert did at SEMO. But Derek St. Hilaire... Averaged nearly seven points per game. He started five games this past season. He had a career-high 18 points against Delaware State. Now, I would, if I had to guess, I would say this was based on him, based on the playing time, him not starting enough games, because I do think New Orleans is, I don't want to say it's a downgrade, but I think the conference they play in is a little bit less than what the Ohio Valley can offer. Um, and not knowing like what, where the mindset was with him and the coaching staff, it may have came to a point where he said, you know, I may not have the best chance to start as many games as I want. And I'm going to, I'd like to take advantage of where I can play the most with my remaining eligibility. Yeah. And you, you always wonder too, sometimes it's not a basketball decision. Sometimes like that, it's a personality decision. Maybe there was something else he wanted to do. Maybe there was something going on in New Orleans that he wanted to be closer to. Maybe it's about major, his classes, things like that. Sure. Sometimes schools just don't fit. You know, talking to kids that are going to go look at other schools, I always encourage them, talk to the guy who doesn't get to play. They're going to take you around with the best player on the team, the guy that's in good with the coach, thinks the world of the whole program. Hey, am I going to be happy here? If I don't get to play, and is this someplace that, hey, maybe I play two years and I'm, I'm deciding to hang it up and I want to stay here. Those are the types of things you have to look at, too. 
two guys I didn't mention, and I'll get into them here for just a second. A.J. Green, I think that's a big one that's on everybody's mind if you're a Missouri Valley Conference fan, has announced that he is entering the NBA draft, but he hasn't hired an agent, so he's maintaining his uh, academic uh, eligibility, defending Larry Bird winner. The kid just has ice water in his veins, but by all accounts, he's coming back. That's why he hasn't hired an agent. He just wants to do the evaluation period, which has been pushed back by the NCAA, how much longer they can wait to kind of get people to look at them. And then just personally from Southern Illinois, Carbondale, is Aaron Cook. He was one of the seniors that stuck around for Brian Mullen's first year, got hurt, only played six games, but was playing 31 minutes a game when he was here. Those guys were logging a lot of minutes. But to his credit, he's going to be a grad transfer, and he's going to Gonzaga. I love Southern Illinois Salukis, but if you're going to tell me I get to go play for Gonzaga, I'm going to be in the tournament. I might be a top four seed next year. Thanks, Coach. I appreciate what you've done for me. I'm taking a flight to Seattle. (laughs) You're exactly right. Gonzaga, one of the top programs in the country for the last so many years. Mark Few, one of the best coaches that I've seen in my lifetime. And uh, the location well, a lot better than Southern Illinois. You know, yeah. Southern Illinois, you're surrounded by cornfields and a couple railroad tracks, and that's, that's about it. Yep. And by all accounts, that program, Gonzaga's basketball program, saved that university. I remember reading an article some years ago. They were ready to shut the doors. Oh, yeah. The program started to ramp up. They started bringing in some donors and, you know, obviously the NCAA money, the TV money. And just that's what I think everybody in our two conferences are looking for is just to kind of get that – so we can build up your conference. I know Southern Illinois Carbondale has been missing that. That this is our chance to kind of get back on on the map. To they need those types of programs to be successful. Well, that's just a few transfers leaving the Missouri Valley and the Ohio Valley Conference. We will get into more in the coming weeks. But the next segment, we're going to get into some of the non-conference matchups that have slowly been released, and those will be the Power Five Conference games that the Missouri Valley and Ohio Valley Conferences. So as usual, um, TJ will do the Missouri Valley Conference, and I will do the Ohio Valley Conference. And I think we have to first and foremost give a shout out to at the D1 Docket on Twitter. This guy has a. I suggest highly that you follow him if you want to find out any schedule, non-conference schedule, whether it be the Big Ten all the way to the Patriot League at the D1 Docket. He's got a spreadsheet set up for you. Find your team, and you'll be able to get these. out. Otherwise, you're going to have to do some real digging, but he puts it all in one great central location for you. So there hasn't been too many um, you know, college basketball schedules that, that have been released. I think there's only been like four or five that have been released in full so far out of all of Division One. Um but so here and there, there have been a couple Power 5 conference games that have been released for the Ohio Valley, and one of them is Eastern Illinois travels to Kansas. So they'll take on Kansas, which will be a big money game for Eastern Illinois. Um, I do know that Eastern did play competitive this last season. They played, oh, I think they played Texas Tech, and they were actually it was a pretty competitive game till you know, I think Texas Tech's uh, depth started to take over and wore out uh, Eastern Illinois. Yeah, I wonder how many people from Eastern Illinois are going to be able to get tickets to Fog Allen. And and if, if the people at, at University of Kansas, how fired up they can get for taking on Eastern Illinois University in, you know, de- November or December. Um, 
Purdue has stepped up in the state of Indiana. They've actually scheduled two Missouri Valley Conference games. They've, they're going to host Purdue. Excuse me. <laughs> Purdue's going to host Evansville, and then they're also going to host Indiana State as well. Um, you know, I, I would guess that Purdue's not too worried about Evansville after they're, they're beating Kentucky last year and then going 0-18 in conference play, which I, I, I apologize, Evansville fans. I don't want to keep harping on it, but I think that's got to be a realistic thing that you're you're thinking about when you schedule those. But oh, sure. great in-state games, and there's more and more speculation. We'll, we'll see that a lot more this year with all the travel restrictions and the money problems that schools could possibly face. Absolutely. Uh, Jacksonville State, they play at LSU and at Syracuse, those are two of the games that have been released on the Gamecock schedule for 2020. And LSU's been a program that has, you know, they've turned things around here in recent years. And that'll be a tough opponent for Jacksonville State, while at the same time, it is going to be, I don't want to say local, but it's kind of a, a Power 5 conference that isn't too far from Jacksonville State. Yep, and like we mentioned earlier, you know, Mizzou's going to go to Missouri State um, again, it'll be real affordable. I'm guessing they don't have to pay for that game being Mizzou since you're dr- traveling down sure. to Springfield. Um, and give some fans in the other parts of the state a chance to see the Tigers play. I think that's a big part of it. And uh, it's a great opportunity for Dana Ford and the Bears. Oh, absolutely. It should be a very uh, – it should be an attractive game on the Missouri State Bears schedule as with a SEC team in-state uh, – rival coming to town i guess i shouldn't say rival but in-state member um if that's not a sellout for missouri state then uh dana ford's probably gonna wonder well, why did we bring them to why right. did we bring them here right but don't underestimate the size of missouri state's facility i mean it, that thing is ginormous it, i mean i can't imagine how many seats that has i could probably find out but it's it's a good size facility and the only other power five one that i have is that Valparaiso is going to travel to Vanderbilt. You have the Drew connection. You know that's where Coach Drew left Val, Valpo to go to Vanderbilt. He's no longer there. He's at Grand Canyon University now. But they do have a little bit of that connection. And Vanderbilt, an SEC team that's kind of trying to rebuild their program, trying to push their way back up to some of their former glory days. So that'll be interesting. It'll be a, a nice trip to Nashville for the Crusaders and see if they can get their feet wet down there. And the only other two games that I had that have been released, uh, one from Moorhead State and one from Tennessee Tech, uh, Moorhead State travels to Xavier, while Tennessee Tech travels to Virginia Tech. Now, as as you've heard, I mean, there's only been four Ohio Valley schools that have released Power 5 games at this point. Now, not all OVC schools may even play a Power 5 conference team, but the majority will. And as those start to trickle out, you know, we'll uh, bring those to your attention. And, you know, it's more or less going to be some money games to help out the uh, the budgets. Whereas there may be some games like, let's say, Murray State plays like a Vanderbilt or somebody. You know, they're, they're going to do their best to win that game and collect a paycheck. Exactly. But with that, that's, that's going to move us on to our Mount Rushmore for Austin P. And Bradley, um, next week we'll get into some more non-conference uh, schedules for the Missouri Valley and Ohio Valley. But right now, um, I will start out with the Austin P. Governors here. And the first guy I had on the list, Charles Bubba Wells. Uh, he played at Austin P. from 1992 to 1997. 
He was OVC Freshman of the Year. He was also OVC Preseason Player of the Year and OVC Player of the Year during the 96-97 campaign. He collected 2,267 points, which is atop the Austin P record list. He was drafted by Dallas in the 1997 draft in the second round. Now, he didn't have a long NBA career. I, I think he did play some seasons overseas, but this is actually a guy that I have met a couple times. He doesn't know it, but but I know it. Um, that's all that matters. Right? <laughs> yep, that's all that matters. Um, but he seems to be an avid golfer. Um, when, when he was coaching at SIU Edwardsville, uh, he actually golfed at the golf course I was working at a handful of times. And so I got to meet him a couple times, even though, yeah, he has no idea who I am, but that's where we're at with that. Uh, I had Bradley and I think first and foremost, you think about Bradley basketball, you got to think Hersey Hawkins still leads the school in scoring. I think he's up by 900 some odd points, seventh in rebounds. First in steals, and I was surprised the guy that scored 3,000 points is seventh in assists all time at the school. His jersey's retired there. MVC starting five back in 2007, uh, 2006, 2007 season, the MVC did this big push and they asked fans to vote for their starting five. And then there was the MVC 50 greatest of all time at that point. He was in the inaugural class for the MVC Hall of Fame, and there's some pretty nice names in that first year going into the MVC Hall of Fame. Um, Two-time Larry Bird trophy winner, and I think in all honesty, if you start thinking about, well, if it wasn't Larry Bird that this trophy was going to be named after, I think it's Hersey Hawkins. I think he's just that iconic. Uh, Was the number six overall draft pick by the LA Clippers in 88. He was a consensus All-American and AP Player of the Year. If there was an award, Hersey Hawkins won it in 1988. So, Going back to Austin P. Uh, Trenton Hassel, he played his career at Austin P. from 1999 to 2001. He was all OVC during his Austin P. career, OVC Newcomer of the Year during the 98-99 year, and OVC Player of the Year during the 2000-2001 season, which that would have been... That was right before my time of following the Ohio Valley because my brother-in-law played at SEMO during 2001. But he never averaged less than 17.8 points per game during his three-year career, and he was drafted by the Chicago Bulls in 2001, playing nine NBA seasons stretched across four teams. Uh, The third guy I got is James Fly Williams. Played there from 1972 to... St. Louis Spirits, wasn't he? Yes, he was. He was OVC Player of the Year during the 73-74 season. Um, He was a scoring machine. He had 27.5 points and 29.5 points per game during both his seasons at Austin P. Played in the American Basketball Association with the St. Louis Spirits for two seasons, but he was also drafted by Philadelphia in the 1976 NBA draft. And the last guy on my Mount Rushmore list for Austin P is Chris Horton. Now this is somewhat of a guy from recent years. And this was a guy I've actually got to see play in person multiple times down at uh, SEMO. But Chris Horton played his Austin P career from 2012 to 2016. 
He was Ohio Valley Conference Freshman of the Year during the 12-13 season. He's number five on the all-time scoring list of 1,705 points, number two on the all-time rebounds list with 1,261, and he's the all-time leader in blocked shots at Austin P with 325. Now, during their with their top 10 block shots for one season, he is on that list four times. He's on that list for every single season he was at Austin P. He was drafted in the first round by Grand Rapids in the NBA Development League in 2016 as the fifth overall pick. And now I've got to see him play a couple times down at the Show Me Center, and he it was hard to get a shot for SEMO inside the paint because every time one go up in the stands, I mean, it just blocking them left and right. Yeah, and that helps your guards so much because now oh. they know they can get up in somebody's shorts, really make them have to drive past them. If you do, hey, we got this guy to clean it up for us. And, you know, it just makes a world of difference for your defense. You have somebody like that in the middle that you can rely on. Absolutely. And uh, he was a staple. Um, hopefully his his career in the professional league will continue on into recent in upcoming seasons. But with that, that's my Austin P. Mount Rushmore. I know TJ touched on one of his. I'll let him do the remaining of his uh, Bradley Mount Rushmore. Well, for the other three of mine, you have to stretch way back. I know Hersey Hawkins may still be way back to you, but he's not to me. I remember when he was you know, in Sports Illustrated and stuff like that. But Chet Walker, fourth leading scorer all time, only played 81 games on the for Bradley, but he's still fourth leading scorer, their second rebounder, another MVC uh, 50 greatest was a two-time consensus All-American first team. You put that in perspective, Hersey Hawkins only did it once. Missouri Valley Conference Hall of Fame obviously has his uh, jersey retired. Paul Unruh played from 1946 to 1950, fifth on the all-time scoring list, another consensus first team All-American. Actually made the All-NCAA tournament team when they had their big run. And again, 50 greatest, MVC Hall of Fame, both of those. This last one I kind of wavered on as late as today, and I found him, Missouri Valley Conference Hall of Fame, played from 1965 to 1968, guy by the name of Joe Allen. And maybe it was I'm going with my heart here, but it's all uh, subjective here. But he said he played most of his career with a left leg brace, so it went from his mid-thigh down to his mid-calf. And he was playing 1968. He led all of Division One in field goal percentage. Now, this is the same time that Lou Alcindor and Elgin Baylor are playing in the NCAA uh, level. So he leads the, the, the country in scoring or in field goal percentage. I think it was like 60% wow. that he was at that time. Sixth leading scorer and sixth leading rebounder in only 79 games. And head-to-head against Wes Unseld, six games, averaged 17.7 points per game. Jeez. So, I mean, I found it. I was like, man, I discovered that guy's like, I can't leave this guy off the list. I've never heard of him, but this is fantastic. <laughs> they said he was 6'6", and he's going against the likes of uh, Lou Alcindor. you got to give the guy props. You know, played in Europe. Was three-time Italian League MVP, I think. Wow. So, had a, had a pretty remarkable career given his limitations, and you just wonder what might have been. They say he probably would have made the '68 Olympic team had it not been for that uh, that injury, so to speak. Wow, and and you just mentioned, you know, that he had some good years in the was it the Italian Italian League? Correct. That's that's one of the key key points for like I know for the Ohio Valley especially. Um, the Ohio Valley has had 
so many players go overseas and play. And while it may not be the NBA, the paychecks over there, they're not bad. I mean, they are still rather, you know, rather good. It it may not be, you know, the millions of dollars that you get in the NBA, but, you know, a couple hundred thousand dollars for a season overseas. You know, I'd take that. I think I think overall, especially at the top tier league, you're going to play in better venues than you might in the the G League that the NBA has now. And I know they've kind of upped the ante here for some kids coming out of high school, which I totally respect. But if you are one of those guys like, am I ever going to play in the NBA? Going to Europe's a a pretty good option. You know, Danny Ferry back in the day from Duke didn't want to play in Cleveland. Well, I'll go play in Europe for a couple of years. You know, we've seen guys, local guys go play and make some good money. And, uh, you know, I think when you look back at it, when you get to be little older like i'm like man that would have been really great to spend my 20s just backpacking in europe and you know i've I've known a couple people played in europe and says some of the greatest days of their lives playing over there yeah yeah and travel i bet is a lot different too whether you know if you're in the g league you, you may not be staying at you know some of the premier hotels you may not be traveling first class on whatever the case may be but if you go overseas, you know, that's that's their NBA team over there. I mean, you're you're going to be staying at at the best that they can afford, which is probably better than, you know, the G League and travel is probably going to be a lot more, I guess, comfortable would be a good word. But and even if you're not like if you're not that top tier for the Euro League, maybe you're playing down a little bit lower. Nobody needs to know. Like where'd you play? Well, I played for this this team in Holland. Like, oh great, you know they they, they don't know that you were you know playing for the equivalent of the pickup game at the Y, maybe. <laughs> but yeah, you know, I wouldn't tell anybody. Like, no, you know, you might. I don't think that comes on ESPN Plus, so you don't have to worry about you calling me out on it. No, and I a lot of people probably aren't going to research it. I mean, they'll they take your word for it because it's not like you can watch it. You don't know what kind of competition level it is. It could be the best over there exactly i mean what was it they showed in uh, the last dance at one point phil jackson was coaching was it in puerto rico <laughs> in, in some league down there where they had guys getting in fights on the on the court and guns and stuff like that like well you know <laughs> hey i played overseas <laughs> <laughs> but with that that's uh that's our mount rushmore for austin p and bradley i know we Went a little uh, off track with the overseas basketball, but thought it was worthy of a mention. Uh, but with that, uh, TJ, do you got any final thoughts here? Well, first of all, I think if you guys have something you want to weigh in, you want to call us out for a terrible Mount Rushmore for your school, uh, reach out to us on Twitter, you know, and uh, at the Valley's Mailbag at gmail.com. You know, let us know what you think about the show in general, good things, bad things. You know, we're, we're here kind of on our own dime trying to figure some things out. And if anything we can do to make the show better is a big thing for me. But really, I wanted to do the Mount Rushmore's, stimulate some conversation, get some things going, get some opinions. I mean, that's what we're here to do and, and meet new people. Yeah. Um, kind of piggybacking off of what TJ said. Yeah. If, if you have any questions or you want to Give us your comment about, you know, what kind of a terrible Mount Rushmore we had or something we could improve on or maybe maybe just a segment you would like us to talk about in uh, coming episodes. Yeah. Let us know um, the email, TJ. Valleys mailbag at Gmail dot com. That's valleys with a wise. We think we're you know, sticking with our theme here. And then our uh, Twitter handle is view valleys pod. Yeah. So if you don't want to send us an email. You can uh, send us a direct message on Twitter at View Valley's Pod, 
and uh yeah we'll gladly uh gladly read your message and see if we can't uh you know make an improvement here and there or uh discuss a segment that you would like us to talk about uh in coming in coming weeks you know we would like to do a more or less like a you know ask the audience you know segment so like if if we have multiple questions for one uh for one episode you know we'll we'll make that an actual segment so we'll read your questions during the uh podcast and then we'll discuss those uh questions throughout that episode but with that that'll wrap up episode two here on view of the valleys for tj hoover i am chris smith thanks for tuning in be sure to subscribe to the podcast on apple and give us a follow on twitter and again that twitter follow handle is view valleys pod v-i-e-w-v-a-l-l-e-y-s-p-o-d view valleys pod be sure to tune in next week as we get get into more transfers, schedules, and our Mount Rushmore for Belmont and Drake. Have a great rest of your week. Have a good one, everybody.